Content warning. This episode of Brave New World by Aldous Huxley contains various topics such as dehumanization, religion, COVID-19, ASMR, deep existential philosophy, drug use, suffering, death and disease, and plenty more since it's a dystopian fiction and rather nasty. Hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we will be continuing our read of Brave New World by Aldous Huxley with chapter 17. Cue the inclement weather background noise. And the music. Yes. Yes, welcome to a very special ASMR episode of So Many Books, So Little Time. We bring to you the delightful sounds of a torrential rainfall in the background of people discussing and reflecting on literary value of Aldous Huxley's most crucial literary masterwork. And I just said literary 20 million times to sound as pretentious as that sounds. It was a torrent of rain that rocketed down upon the Gold Coast on this lone Friday in the middle of August. <laughs> Sorry, it was a dark. I was like, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> That's how all good novels should begin. Oh, God. Oh, God. But yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty, yeah. You can yeah, probably folks. hear it in the background. Um, we we decided to soldier on, uh, even though it's downpouring, because, hey, rain is white noise. <laughs> I can't get over dark and stormy. Well, look, it, it, it isn't gale force winds, so we can, we can deal. Yeah, it's, yeah. When we hit gale force winds, that's when we stop, because we might need to, you know... Avoid windows. Well, 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 that that would be kind of the. What do you think, Gru? <laughs> yeah, bad. <laughs> um, yeah, a little yes. technical difficulty sign. Do 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 do. The only risk with this kind of weather is that. Okay, so this is a thing in Australia that, depending on the weather, our internet plays up. Mm, with me, yes. if it's yeah, if it's not just my microwave. Your I don't microwave. know. I haven't mentioned this t- on the podcast yet, have I? Uh, I don't think you've mentioned this, period. <laughs> okay, well, so there's this thing in our house when we use the microwave, um, the, the internet occasionally crashes. What? Um, I initially had this as a hypothesis, and then we tested it numerous times, and yes, yes indeed, our Wi-Fi is affected by... The microwave, which means we probably do need to consider getting a booster or an amplifier or something. But yeah, it's really weird. So like the microwaves are fiddling with the Wi-Fi signal or maybe it's just the power grid thing. I I have not gone so far as to test that question. Um, But yes, they do interfere with each other, which is a bit... It doesn't interfere with it, which is a bit odd. Um, I just had to close the window behind where I'm recording right now because water was coming in onto the microphone in my computer. Yay! Horizontal rain. Yeah, that, Something. 
Yeah. That that's a first for me living here because we got I've got an overhang over that oh, window. Gonna, you actually have eaves that you're meant to have in this kind of uh, climate. Mm, but it yeah. didn't stop it. No, no. <laughs> Means the eaves are probably not quite deep enough or wide enough for. Well, we for don't want thing. the eaves to drop. That would be uh, rude. Actually, I wonder if that's where it came from. Probably. And now I need to know now, but I'll look up the entomology of that expression later. This um, has been etymology with ruined eaves. <laughs> Yes, later. Um, but we're going to, yeah, it's been one of those days where I think the weather was feeling left out and it decided um, that it needed to be part of the conversation again. So, because we, we, we've increasingly not mentioned the weather, so now it's back. But yes, as mm. said, it affects our internet over here in Australia. If it rains too much, our thanks to the infrastructure that exists, I'm going to avoid going into that into too much detail, but because of the infrastructure, look up the, um, if anyone is interested, look up the national, uh, so NBN and Australia, and it's it's a long and sordid history. The B stands for boondoggle. Yes, yes, it's bad. Um, but so our internet occasionally, we, in, in our old home, every time it rained, it would drop out. And it rains quite a bit when it rains it rains quite a bit yeah that that's the thing like you know i come from near seattle in the u.s which is kind of you know it's overcast and rainy 10 months out of the year but it's it's like a you know it's like a drizzle it's like well you've been to england it's kind of like that it's it's just it's an it's an ever-present background but it's it's never too um bothersome like you deal with it but here when it rains, because we're we're in the tropics or the subtropics, yeah, it, it, it's it hits hard. <laughs> yes, and it usually hits hard, and often it'll be something like, okay, so we're gonna rain for a week now, solid, solid rain, like sheets of water, and you're yeah. going, why? Why is this happening? Which is why you'll see Australia tends to swing between droughts and floods. Yeah, yeah. Droughts, floods, and fires, is, is this is why. Because we have some fairly extreme weather. That sounds like a um, a band name, Droughts, Floods, and Fires. It's the knockoff band. It's the knockoff band of Earth, Wind, and Fire. So, I'm going to just say the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I know that many, many folks who have been in a state of um, isolation due to the the current pandemic and just generally in life but pandemic has not helped um especially those who are if anyone's disabled they'll really get this anyone is struggling with mental health normally they'll get this um i i can't stand the expression we are in unprecedented times we are we know this but you don't have to call them that um, but we, we've got this situation with the pandemic that in many countries where, like, if you actually are able to isolate or you're instructed to isolate or at least physically distance from everyone and stay indoors as much as possible, shout out to Melbourne people, right? But um, that, uh, when you ha- are disabled, it's a bonus level of really f- exhausting and crap (laughs) i i understand it's a bonus because you already have to like you already end up limiting your physical outings normally 
Mm. Or at least I do. I know that a lot of people do. And a lot of people who are disabled or have mental health illness or a combination of both or whatever is going on in their lives and they can't get out of the house much as it is per year. This is even those few times we can get out, we're not talking the people who take it for granted that every weekend they get to go out and see their friends or every couple of days they have a coffee catch up or stuff. We're talking people who it might be six months between seeing someone in person that isn't a doctor or a nurse or a physio or a social worker, like who don't actually, or and even then they might, they might, that's the only regular human interaction they have. And then mm -hmm. once in a blue moon, literally six months or so, or maybe a year, they get to actually see friends mm. in person. And so for them, this is hitting hard in a different way because we're seeing people who are not used to this kind of not stick to the rules or be unable to cope with the kind of pressure that we are normally under, mm. right? Um, and it's, it doesn't mean that there's no compassion. Of course, there's compassion. People are trying to cope with this for the first time. Totally get it. It's not easy. It took us a while too. It's hard for us too. But the thing is that when the longer we prolong this ongoing pandemic and we do so with that kind of behavior where we, because I can't handle it, I need to see my friends. Hmm. We end up pro making this prolonged and those people who seeing a friend could be a death sentence and a pretty nasty death or medical costs that they already can't afford or they already know they'd be down the priority rank in terms of medical treatment. You know, like in some countries, if you have disability, if you are disabled in any way on paper, you go down that organ transplant list as a priority. They, in some places, refuse you an organ transplant. Hmm. So say you had to have some sort of treatment, say your kidneys shut down, say you need, like whatever is needed, and you need medical care, you automatically get ranked down uh, in the case of a pandemic. And people have been saying that's not fair, but you know what? That's what happens. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so this, this pandemic has a whole nother level of, of pressure on folks who have who are medically vulnerable the word i'm going to go with is those who are medically vulnerable are are getting a little frustrated and i've been seeing a lot of interaction of people going well they just have to stay home then we can still have our lives and you're going you don't know if you're going to become a medically vulnerable person after this mm. if you can't get it if you if you don't die that's great many people don't but you there the long-term consequences no one actually grasps what it is Mm. And they're, they're going to be dealing with a lot more consequences, not to mention you're basically saying that that my entertainment and amusement is more of a priority than your physical and mental safety. And what a great segue into our book. Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know because we were talking about um, off podcast stuff before you went into that. I don't know how abrupt the joking no, around no. to pandemic talk was. Well, here's here's the pandemic. If we go from pandemic to take it to the book, you've got Helmholtz, <laughs> Helmholtz making the decision, hopefully only for himself, but chances are his decision has been for both him and Bernard that they're going to be in inclement weather. Mm. Which we've always already said Bernard will not handle that. 
Bernard will not handle that. But not only that, Helmholtz wants suffering, but has no idea what suffering is. Mm. And, and, you know, uh, based on that idea about how for my own amusement, I will put others at risk. When John was throwing out the soma that the, yep. the Deltas needed, um, yep. he, he's like, oh, what fun. Let me do this. And it's like those look. We can laugh about how um, subservient the people in this society are to that drug, but those folks need that drug. They've just yep. toiled away for eight hours. Also, the, the way that he... Okay, so the way the controller described the system, the whole point is exploitation. The whole point is to put pressure on these individuals and, and push them to the point that you're squeezing their their life out of them. So you're exploiting the workers, and the thing that makes them, as you were saying able to get through this is that dependency on soma because that's the only thing that makes them feel good right well it's not so much squeezing the life i mean there's the idea that they are bred for that specific purpose and then there's yeah. the games and the copulation and all that but yeah from from our point of view it is completely exploited. well it's it's not yeah it is we know it's exploitative it's the whole point is like well, we had to do it this way because the alphas couldn't be controlled. You're going, well, if you have a society that is only based on control and how much you control population, well, then sure. But still, doesn't that's not the point. If your point of a society is to advance, which this one is not. Mm -hmm. He straight up said it. We are compromising science and art. We're compromising beauty and truth. If you compromise beauty and truth, you cannot advance as a society. The point is to, like in 1984, stay in a perpetual mode of stasis. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole thing with, with here. It, the same way that John made those decisions for a population, he has no clue, no really, about this society, doesn't actually know what he's doing, mm. doesn't think about the impact, doesn't realize that he's essentially removing the one thing that makes this whole existence tolerable for them. Yep. Not even going into the fact that let's not even go into the fact that the society is designed to make life intolerable for them in order that they take the soma and they remain productive and they remain in a position to maintain order in order for the alphas to stay a certain way in order for the betas and the gammas that the society depends on all these little blocks sticking to their thing and just stay and not like only focusing on that happiness nothing else and their happiness being um be busy and we tell you what happiness is and we'll make you chemically happy it's it's quite disturbing and there are a lot of parallels but the thing is you still don't go up to someone without knowing the context of what else is going on i mean unless he's going to single-handedly transform the society and the function and the the conditions for the beta uh, for the sorry for the deltas and the epsilons in such a way that they can find happiness in a different way as mustafa man said you were you were yelling about liberty deltas have no idea what liberty is well, well, it's not just, it's not fair because they might, we don't know if they have the cognitive capacity. We can't, like, I mean, we know in this hypothetical scenario they don't. But even cognitive capacity is not the issue here because if you can create an alternative structure that will provide them comfort and dignity and empower them to function in that sense and not just focus on productivity if there was another purpose in this society but there isn't so the, for the context of the society the purpose is be productive and 
be, you know, maintain the order. There is no other purpose in this society. The, the entire function of society here is to be part of order, and that's it. It's like someone with a complete control issue. Well, controller is the world controller. It's, that's, it's in the name. It's in the title. They have controllers of the world. Mm -hmm. It's not about... And so you look at that and you go, that's why even now in our, in our real world examples, you don't... Making a determination for the health or the well-being of another person without their involvement and consent and actually addressing the, the, you know, the systemic issues behind it mm. is remarkably ignorant and, and arrogant. It's mm. a pretty deadly combination of ignorance and arrogance. And I would say that John has been ignorant and arrogant. He's been yeah. very traumatized. But ignorance and arrogance, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, I think the arrogance was born out of... Well, okay, no, his actions that got him sent to Mustafa Mon's office were born out of grief. But that arrogance has been there ever since he arrived, which is born out of his trauma. And yeah, the idea that... Um, well, it's this weird thing as well, you know, he, uh, one thing I found interesting is he never really objected to being called a savage. I would think if I, you know, if, if suddenly I was taken to some quote unquote advanced society and, and they called me a savage, I'd probably be quite offended by that. But the thing is, he came from a place where he didn't belong either, and he was indoctrinated by his mother to believe that he is where they were living was incredibly uncivilized and and horrible and all these things so i mean i question whether it was him not being able to fit in him being rejected or a combination of both and the not being able to fit in because his mother essentially was indoctrinating him to think of, of himself as something inherently superior and everyone around him is inherently inferior. But if he thought that way, then he would object to being called savage. That's my point. No, no, no. Other way around. As in the society that they, they went, they were living in on the reservation. I don't like using the word reservation, hence I sometimes just use a lot of weird walk around in my sentences. But say when they were living on the reservation and the mother is telling him, you're better than this because you come from a civilization that's actually, like I come from this place and they're actually civilized and this is not civilized and this isn't how humans should be. And then tells him, has this in the background. And then he is rejected by others there because he doesn't quite fit in and probably because he has a lot of that sense of superiority in the on in the back burner comes to the society that is supposedly according to his mother's uh, exhortations uh the more superior the more advanced society so the more superior the more advanced society and then comes and realizes no this is incredibly terrifyingly grotesque in the way things are done. I don't understand how this can be superior. So you come and you are confronted by the lack of what you comprehend as being civilization based on your romanticized notion of the nobility of man. So so yeah, he, he would consider the fact that they keep calling him a savage to be almost uh, uh, ironic. Yes. We're talking, this is a person who has essentially been raised by a combination of Shakespeare and a sense of inherent superiority and rejection. I should not be analyzing a fictional character, but here we are. I, I think that we can have you a You say that every time, it doesn't matter, that's what we do. Let's move. I know, I just don't believe in doing it to actual people that are alive and real. Um, I have issues with that. 
So, well, shall we see what Mustafa Mont has to say to John when they're alone in the same room? Well, yes, and we know they're going to get shoved off to islands, so there we go. 17. Art. Science. You seem to have paid a fairly high price for your happiness, said the savage when they were alone. Anything else? Well, religion, of course, replied the controller. There used to be something called God before the Nine Years' War. But I was forgetting. You know all about God, I suppose. Well, the savage hesitated. He would have liked to say something about solitude, about night, about the mesa lying pale under the moon, about the precipice, the plunge into shadowy darkness, about death. He would have liked to speak, but there were no words, not even in Shakespeare. The controller, meanwhile, had crossed to the other side of the room and was unlocking a large safe set into the wall between the bookshelves. The heavy door swung open, rummaging in the darkness within. It's a subject, he said that has always had a great interest for me. He pulled out a thick black volume. You've never read this, for example. The savage took it. The Holy Bible, containing the Old and New Testaments, he read aloud from the title page. Nor this. It was a small book and had lost its cover. The Imitation of Christ. Nor this. He handed out another volume. The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James. And I've got plenty more, Mustafa Mont continued, resuming his seat. A whole collection of pornographic old books. God in the safe and fort on the shelves. He pointed with a laugh to his avowed library, to the shelves of books, the rack full of reading machine bobbins and soundtrack rolls. But if you know about God, why don't you tell them? Asked the savage indignantly. Why don't you give them those books about God? For the same reason as we don't give them Othello. They're old. They're about God hundreds of years ago, not about God now. But God doesn't change. Men do, though. What difference does that make? All the difference in the world, said Mustafa Mon. He got up again and walked to the safe. There was a man called Cardinal Newman, he said. A cardinal, he explained parenthetically, was a kind of arch-community songster. I, Pandolf, of Fair Milan Cardinal. I've read about them in Shakespeare. Of course you have. Well, as I was saying, there was a man called Cardinal Newman. Ah, here's the book. He pulled it out. And while I'm about it, I'll take this one too. It's by a man called Maine de Byran. He was a philosopher, if you know what that was. A man who dreams of fewer things than there are in heaven and earth, said the savage promptly. Quite so. I'll read you one of the things he did dream of in a moment. Meanwhile, listen to what this old Arch Community songster said. He opened the book at the place marked by a slip of paper and began to read. We are not our own any more than what we possess is our own. We did not make ourselves. We cannot be supreme over ourselves. We are not our own masters. We are God's property. Is it not our happiness thus to view the matter? Is it any happiness or any comfort to consider that we are our own? It may be thought so by the young and prosperous. These may think it is a great thing to have everything, as they suppose, their own way, to depend on no one, to have to think of nothing out of sight, to be without the irksomeness of continual acknowledgement, continual prayer, continual reference of what they do to the will of another. But as time goes on, they, as all men, will find that independence was not made for man, that it is in a natural state, will do for a while, but will not carry us on safely to the end. Mustafa Mon paused, put down the first book, and picking up the other, turned over the pages. 
Take this for example, he said, and in his deep voice once more began to read. A man grows old. He feels in himself that radical sense of weakness, of listlessness, of discomfort, which accompanies the advance of age, and feeling thus, imagines himself merely sick, lulling his fears with the notion that this distressing condition is due to some particular case from which, as from an illness, he hopes to recover. Vain imaginings. That sickness is old age, and a horrible disease it is. They say that it is the fear of death and what comes after death that makes men turn to religion as they advance in years. But my experience has given me the conviction that quite apart from any such terrors or imaginings, the religious sentiment tends to develop as we grow older to develop because, as the passions grow calm, as the fancy and sensibilities are less excited and less excitable, our reason becomes less troubled in its working, less obscured by the images, desires, and distractions in which it used to be absorbed, whereupon God emerges as from behind a cloud. Our soul feels, sees, turns towards the source of all light, turns naturally and inevitably, for now that all that gave to the world of sensations its life and charms has begun to leak away from us, now that phenomenal existence is no more bolstered up by impressions from within or from without, we feel the need to lean on something that abides, something that will never play us false, a reality, an absolute and everlasting truth. Yes, we inevitably turn to God, for this religious sentiment is of its nature so pure, so delightful to the soul that experiences it, that it makes up to us for all our other losses. Mustafa Man shut the book and leaned back in his chair. One of the numerous things in heaven and earth that these philosophers didn't dream about was this. He waved his hand. Us. The modern world. You can only be independent of God while you've got youth and prosperity. Independence won't take you safely to the end. Well, we've now got youth and prosperity right up to the end. What follows? Evidently that we can be independent of God. The religious sentiment will compensate us for all our losses. But there aren't any losses for us to compensate. Religious sentiment is superfluous. And why should we go hunting for a substitute for youthful desires when youthful desires never fail? A substitute for distractions when we go on enjoying all the old fooleries to the very last. What need have we of repose when our minds and bodies continue to delight in activity? Of consolation when we have soma? Of something immovable when there is the social order? Then you think there is no God? No, I think there quite probably is one. Then why? Mustafa Man checked him. But he manifests himself in different ways to different men. In pre-modern times, he manifested himself as the being that's described in these books. Now, how does he manifest himself now? asked the savage. Well, he manifests himself as an absence, as though he weren't there at all. And that's your fault. Mm -hmm. You want to comment? No, I'm trying to follow this line of thought. One second. So we've got stuff. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, now I follow. I, I don't agree, but I, I follow what, what's trying to be said. I follow where Mustafa Mohammed is coming from. That is fine. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. Call it the fault of civilization. God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness. You must make your choice. Our civilization has chosen machinery and medicine and happiness. That's why I have to keep these books locked up in the safe. They're smut. People would be shocked. The savage interrupted him. But isn't it natural to feel there's a god? 
You might as well ask if it's natural to do up one's trousers with zippers, said the controller sarcastically. You remind me of another of those old fellows called Bradley. He defined philosophy as the finding of bad reason for what one believes by instinct, as if one believed anything by instinct. One believes things because one has been conditioned to believe them. Finding bad reasons for what one believes for other bad reasons, that's philosophy. People believe in God because they've been conditioned to. But all the same, insisted the savage, it is natural to believe in God when you're alone, quite alone, in the night, thinking about death. But people never are alone now, said Mustafa Mond. We make them hate solitude, and we arrange their lives so that it's almost impossible for them ever to have it. The savage nodded gloomily. At Malpais, he had suffered because they had shut him out from the communal activities of the Pueblo. Hello, trauma. Sorry. <laughs> In civilized London, he was suffering because he could never escape from those communal activities, never be quietly alone. Do you remember that bit in King Lear, said the savage at last? The gods are just, and of our pleasant vices make instruments to plague us. The dark and vicious place where thee he got cost him his eyes. And Edmund answers, you remember, he's wounded, he's dying. Thou hast spoken right, tis true, the wheel has come full circle. I am here. What about that now? Doesn't there seem to be a god managing things, punishing, rewarding? Well, does there? questioned the controller in his turn. You can indulge in any number of pleasant vices with a free margin and run no risks of having your eyes put out by your son's mistress. The wheel has come full circle. I am here. But where would Edmund be nowadays, sitting in a pneumatic chair with his arm round a girl's waist, sucking away at his sex hormone chewing gum and looking at the feelies? The gods are just, no doubt, but their code of law is dictated in the last resort by the people who organize society. Providence takes its cue from men. Are you sure? asked the savage. Are you quite sure that the Edmund in that pneumatic chair hasn't been just as heavily punished as the Edmund who's wounded and bleeding to death? The gods are just. Haven't they used his pleasant vices as an instrument to degrade him? See, and I get how, where the savage is coming from there, because that makes sense. Because, yeah, in terms of if you perceive, it, it all depends on if you perceive as humans, not even going into the discussion on God, but even looking at if you perceive humans as purely sensory material rather than noble, rather than capable of contributing to each other's well-being and making a difference in terms of having honor, integrity, and all these these kind of qualities that are beyond the infantile. Yeah, or animalistic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so frustrating. Hey. <laughs> yeah, uh, so far this is very dense. I'm still processing as I'm reading, and we're not even at the end of the argument. No, no. Or I guess you should say the end of the discussion, because they are having a bit of back and forth here. Yeah, well, you can, I think the challenge is Mustafa Mond is treating humans as purely, um, you know, creatures that, that value aesthetics and creatures that value sensory input and creatures. Mm. And yes, civilization at some stage needed, you know, had more than that going on, but it doesn't serve us right now for what we need right now for it to stay as a controlled world controller once things controlled obviously it doesn't serve our purpose now mm. going well you're predetermining the purpose as opposed to allowing humanity to evolve and create itself new purpose and advance so i guess if you don't want to advance sure it's good enough to stay the same 
I just saw the next paragraph. And yes, it is. He addresses this. Uh, Ah, yes. So uh, haven't they used his pleasant vices as an instrument to degrade him? Degrade him from what position? As a happy, hardworking, goods-consuming citizen, he's perfect. Of course, if you choose some other standard than ours, then perhaps you might say he was degraded. But you've got to stick to one set of postulates. You can't play electromagnetic golf according to the rules of centrifugal bumble puppy. <laughs> I still, I get this visual of people on like a merry-go-round, a really fast run, trying to play basketball as it spins through the hole or something like that. Like it's, it's very confusing. It, it seems such it's uh, just as silly as any of the other games I, I need in to this know society. What it's look like. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but value dwells not in particular will, said the savage. It holds his estimate and dignity as well as wherein tis precious of itself as in the prizer. Come, come, protested Mustafa Mon. That's going rather far, isn't it? If you allowed yourselves to think of God, you wouldn't allow yourselves to be degraded by pleasant vices. You'd have a reason for bearing things patiently, for doing things with courage. I've seen it with the Indians. I'm sure you have, said Mustafa Mond. But then, we aren't Indians. There isn't any need for a civilized man to bear anything that's seriously unpleasant. And as for doing things, Ford forbid that he should get the idea into his head. It would upset the whole social order if men started doing things on their own. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes. What about self-denial, then? If you had a god, you'd have a reason for self-denial. But industrial civilization is only possible when there's no self-denial. Self-indulgence up to the very limits imposed by hygiene and economics. Otherwise, the wheel stopped turning. You'd have a reason for chastity, said the savage, blushing a little as he spoke the words. But chastity means passion. Chastity means neurasthenia. And passion and neurasthenia mean instability. And instability means the end of civilization. You can't have a lasting civilization without plenty of pleasant vices. There's the challenge. The the definition of civilization is different. The, mm-hmm. the definition... Well, here it is. It's industrial civilization. I think that's the key point here. Whenever he, Mustafa Mond is talking about civilization, he's talking industrial civilization, where the whole purpose is productivity, goods Keep the machine going. Yeah, keep the machine going. So if we exist only for the function of the machine to continue... Then yeah, it's it's I'm just kind of internal and external. Yeah, uh, but God's the reason for everything noble and fine and heroic. If you had a God, my dear young friend, said Mustafa Mond, civilization has absolutely no need of nobility or heroism. These things are symptoms of political inefficiency. In a properly organized society like ours, nobody has any opportunities for being noble or heroic. Conditions have got to be thoroughly unstable before the occasion can arise. Where there were wars, where there are divided allegiances, where there are temptations to be resisted, objects of love to be fought for or defended, there, obviously, nobility and heroism have some sense. But there aren't any wars nowadays. The greatest care is taken to prevent you from loving anyone too much. There's no such thing as a divided allegiance. You're so conditioned that you can't help doing what you ought to do. And what you ought to do is on the whole so pleasant, so many of the natural impulses are allowed free play. 
that there really aren't any temptations to resist, and if ever, by some unlucky chance, anything unpleasant should somehow happen, why, there's always Soma to give you a holiday from the facts, and there's always Soma to calm your anger, to reconcile you to your enemies, to make you patient and long-suffering. In the past, you could only accomplish these things by making a great effort, and after years of hard moral training. Now, you swallow two or three half-gram tablets, and there you are. Anybody can be virtuous now. You can carry at least half your mortality about in a bottle. Christianity without tears. That's what Soma is. I'm like... <laughs> Bleh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just thinking like that you've got this this uh, like I, I see it's really funny how to see things being described as unattractive. I mean, look, I don't believe that people should unnecessarily suffer. I'm not a fan of that. No. Mm. But especially should not be I think the key word is people should not be made to suffer yes it should not people will suffer i mean we'll have natural disasters we have disease we have you know th those people are the die people die we have grief we discussed the whole idea of grief mm -hmm. as being a necessary human emotion in order for us to appreciate living <laughs> um and the time we have with one another but yeah this is it, it's strange to read someone trying to re reasonably and rationally kind of argue against the very things that make us human. I mean, we were discussing this throughout the whole book. Like, it's just... Well, here's what I find unfair as I'm reading this. On one side, arguing for this society, you've got a world controller, probably one of the more intelligent people in this world. And also, he knows all the, the banned stuff. He's well-read. He's read the forbidden books. He, he knows about philosophy. He's obviously very good at argument and rhetoric. And, you know, yeah. he, he, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he's had a lifetime of experience. And yeah. he's debating a, what, a 20-year-old with ideas, grand ideas of... Not even of, a 20-year-old. He's, what, 1918? Yeah, yeah, a teenager. He's yeah. debating a teenager who's got grand ideas about how the world should be. And only should be and only knows this through what he's witnessed secondhand in a culture that has completely different values and morals and pr purpose function and, and, and then on top of that you've got he's, he's he's been taught by shakespeare yeah and he doesn't understand what he's reading either no half the, like most of the time he can only connect it to what he's observed and, and how and, he feels and do you agree, because it's weird, based on this, I mean, it might go in a different direction, but it seems like the book wants us to agree with John. But I, I, find, I find that, because, like, of course, he's coming from, like, the point of our frame of reference, the way kind of our world is. Mm, yes and no. I don't think the book is trying to make us um, agree with John or disagree with with John or the control controller or anything. I think it's more it's written in a way to kind of go. These are the rationalizations. These are the reasonings behind this civilization, and the challenge is. I, I honestly think we're being provoked to question. What is civilization? What are the sacrifices we are willing to make for stability? Is it true stability if you have to cut everything out that makes us um, reach beyond our 
the simple potential and actually go into the a potential that is far greater do we value integrity do we value nobility do we value these things and if we do and we might not see how they have a practicable function within a society that has stability so to speak but what if these can be the tools by which you can create stability and and i've just made the connection the um they're worshiping of henry ford and i believe they even said this at the start of the book ford invented the um what what's it called the automated you know conveyor, uh, was it the conveyor belt or and and they talked about the bottling plant being that for humans the, and yeah. and I was just thinking, it is like because because with our modern worries of uh, um, self-driving cars and how many more jobs in our future are going to be yeah. replaced by automated systems, and then all the fears of AI that a lot of people have. But the idea that um, in this in this society, it, it basically humanity have become automatons because anytime there's a, a, a an aberrance. They either take soma to correct. There's a self-correction mechanism, or there's the islands, which is a further self-correction mechanism. Yeah, there's, there's. You don't deal with instability, and you don't see insta You don't see challenge as something good. You don't see. Hmm. You know, we we shouldn't be creating suffering for one another. No, no, no. But when we see suffering, when we experience suffering. Um, and we shouldn't relish in it or whatever. Like that's not the point either. Mm -hmm. But if you experience suffering, you also have an opportunity to shift and change, or to be supported by one another, or to encourage something to grow from it, or to learn from it. The key thing is you can learn from stuff. Um, you can't tell another person how to learn. I'm talking in our current society. Obviously, in this society, they just take soma. Well, you can't and, determine okay. it for another person. We can't determine that in our world. We can't determine these things for another person in, in the real world. Mm. Um, but we can be supportive and we can, we can learn to be compassionate. We can learn to be understanding of the suffering of others, for example, because we get it. Even if we don't understand it completely, we can try and be there and allow them to go through, like, be supportive of what, what is necessary for a person to either be um, recover or to develop the necessary coping skills for that particular thing. But we don't determine it for another person. Whereas in this case, like I, nothing unpleasant should ever happen to anyone, ever. Um, what you said about challenge has hit me because, um, yeah, uh, remember when, they, when Mustafa Mon talked about the island and mm. how the alphas didn't want to do the Delta and Epsilon work. And, you know, I think even John said something about uh, how that work is horrible. And he's like, they don't think it's horrible. And it, now it's really clicked. Even alphas and betas, their work doesn't challenge them at all. Well, Same thing with the people doing menial work because they're bred for that. So they don't see it as uh, a exhausting challenge, yeah. or, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um uh. So I've got feelings on that. Like you, there is a sweet spot. I know this from my very, very distant memories of education. Oh, are you talking about flow? No, it's there's this sweet spot. You want things to provide enough challenge that it maintains interest and it actually encourages developing skills and ongoing developing of skills. Problem with this bottle bread society or like this 
not bottle bread, but basically this this manufactured society. The mm-hmm. challenge is that <laughs> not a challenge. The issue is that you have predetermined limitations, mm-hmm. predetermined function, predetermined like they they're, they're indoctrinated to the point where they don't question that they should be doing something different. They don't mm-hmm. they, like troubleshooting is not a thing. Like, what's her name? The fact that Lenina, when she was in a, a quote-unquote emotionally distressed state but didn't understand why and therefore would have just been medicating herself to deal with it when she was not being accepted by John, mm. she her her there was a description of how she wasn't sure if she had vaccinated the... Yeah. The... the um, That's right, yeah. The, the human. And then... Turns out that somewhere down the line, a promising because she didn't uh, vaccinate, um, a promising human down the line ends up dying. Uh, that that like so, there are consequences for errors. There are consequences in terms of there are human effects of people's decisions and 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 things, um, in in terms of their jobs. Mm-hmm. But there is no way to prevent. Or address this like there's no failsafe because it's just assumed or not assumed. It is done in a way where each person is designed specifically for their role, and they're only meant to be focusing on their job or their role whilst they're in their job. But Lena, Lenina was being distracted and was actually thinking of something that didn't belong in the workplace. Mm. So she was going against her hypnopedic programming. Technically, yes, um, but that's because they're humans and they will do that. Um, but the point is that. Uh, <laughs> So you've created a society that completely depends on hypnopedia, soma, and all these things to you indoctrinate and you numb mm-hmm. or distract, but you don't actually have fails. So you end up having a certain probable, like I'm going to say they'll have a percentage of acceptable errors. They would have mm. that built into the system because that's what machine error is. So they're treating humans as essentially, uh, yeah, as you said, automatons. They are just, so there is, it's not about challenge. In real life, again, real life versus this, real life, we are we are encouraged in education to have something that is, um, to have enough challenge or for each student, you're meant to have enough challenge to encourage the development of further skills, to nurture capacity and, and keep going on and keep mm-hmm. furthering potential. Um and we don't predetermine in theory. We're not meant to predetermine people's capacity or like based on circumstances and whatever, or educational is. But if you create something that is too challenging too soon, it can be off-putting. You know, when you mm. get thrown, like you have that continual sense of failure. At that same, same stage, depending on the person, if you fail, you can either be spurred on to try and never have that feeling again, or you can... Mm. <laughs> Or it can discourage you from ever trying to experience that feeling again. Yes. So you have that that avoidant versus um, I don't know what the other one is. My friends in psychology are better at this, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's that idea of there are those who avoid challenge because they've had bad experiences, and there are those mm. who rush off into the like right into the face of the beast mm. because they thrive um, by being challenged um, and. Every human will have different things that this holds true for. Mm. Um, And I guess that's the point. Like, you have a society that lacks challenge. And I suspect that John's going to raise that, that if you don't actually experience 
but it brings us back down to what the controller said at the beginning. Like you will never truly understand happiness. Like the happiness we provide here, it works for our society that we need for our controlled society, but it's never going to be the same. You who have experienced or Shakespeare is describing a happiness that is contrasted or that arises through um, overcoming challenge and difficulty is then the happiness of this manufactured society or what we call happiness would pale in significance. It's like, uh, I'm trying to say something without offending our American contingent, but it's like artificial cheese. (laughs) (laughs) The French listeners will be very appealed to by this, but like, (laughs) it's like comparing, you know, spray cheese to, to a, a proper, uh, French, Swiss, or or whatever. I think of your dietary equivalent. The knockoff is never quite like it's never quite as good. It's okay if you're hungry. And the knockoff will eventually kill you. <laughs> well, all of them will eventually kill you. All food kills you eventually. It's because it rusts our machines. But that's a whole discussion. You, but you need to eat, otherwise, it doesn't. Your factory doesn't work. Um, <laughs> if, but the, if you don't poop, you don't live. <laughs> exactly. You don't eat. You don't poop. You don't poop. You die. As to quote my anatomy professor uh, <laughs> way back when. Um, as true yeah. today as it was back then. <laughs> it's still true. Um, but yeah, the point is that you've got... You know when you, you really have missed out or you have a victory which you didn't expect or you have a victory that snatched in the jaws of defeat or these things, that we have these things that we use to describe... This sensation that you... Triumph. Triumph. We don't have a triumphant joy in this manufactured society that Mm. is being discussed. And if you've experienced triumphant joy, if you've experienced joy, then everything else that you have that, okay, this is amusing, this is entertaining, I am occupied, becomes not, not nothing, but it's just, it's not the same. I think we should get back to... Yes, 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 yes. yes, ...the discussion. So, uh... Mustafa Mann said that uh, what Soma is, is Christianity without tears. And John replies, but the tears are necessary. Don't you remember what Othello said? If after every tempest came such calms, may the winds blow till they have awakened death. There's a story one of the old Indians used to tell us about the girl of Matoski. The young men who wanted to marry her had to do a morning's hoeing in her garden. It seemed easy, but there were flies and mosquitoes, magic ones. Most of the young men simply couldn't stand the biting and stinging, but the one that could, he got the girl. Charming. But in civilized countries, said the controller, you can have girls without hoeing for them, and there aren't any fly... (laughs) Sorry. No, no, I I won't chide you because I was inwardly laughing. I don't agree with discrimination against individuals who uh, are engaged in sex work. However, you got to admit that's a really funny sentence given the context, the modern context mm. of that word. Yes, thank you. So let me say it again. You can have girls without hoeing for them. And there aren't any flies or mosquitoes to sting you. We got rid of them all centuries ago. The savage nodded, frowning. You got rid of them. Yes, that's just like you. Getting rid of everything unpleasant instead of learning to put up with it. Whether it is better in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. But you don't do either. 
neither suffer nor oppose. You just abolish the slings and arrows. It's too easy. I'm just trying to see, like, I, I get why he's gone with that quote, but it's just an awkward spot. It's awkward. Hmm. The, the meaning, I, I, again, you know. he, he's a teenager. <laughs> yes, very literal. Very literal. Yeah. He was suddenly silent, thinking of his mother. In her room on 37th floor, Linda had floated in a sea of singing lights and perfumed caresses, floated away, out of space, out of time, out of the prison of her memories, her habits, her aged and bloated body. And Tomakin, ex-director of hatcheries and conditioning, Tomakin was still on holiday, on holiday from humiliation and pain, in a world where he could not hear those words, that derisive laughter, could not see that hideous face, feel those moist and flabby arms around his neck in a beautiful world. What you need, the savage went on, is something with tears for a change. Nothing costs enough here. Twelve and a half million dollars, Henry Foster had protested when the savage told him that. Twelve and a half million, that's what the new conditioning center cost. Not a cent less. Exposing what is mortal and unsure to all that fortune, death and danger dare, even for an eggshell, isn't there something in that, he asked, looking up at Mustafa Mond, quite apart from God, though of course God would be a reason for it. Isn't there something in living dangerously? There's a great deal in it, the controller replied. Men and women must have their adrenals stimulated from time to time. What? questioned the savage, uncomprehending. It's one of the conditions of perfect health. That's why we make the VPS treatments compulsory. VPS, violent passion surrogate, regularly, once a month. We flood the whole system with adrenaline. It's the complete physiological equivalent of fear and rage. All the tonic effects of murdering Desdemona and being murdered by Othello without any of the inconveniences. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the inconveniences. We don't, said the controller. We prefer to do things comfortably. But I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. In fact, said Mustafa Mon, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. All right, then, said the savage defiantly, I'm claiming the right to be unhappy. Not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow, the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. There was a long silence. I claim them all, said the savage at last. Mustafa Mon shrugged his shoulders. You're welcome, he said. Okay, so so I'm assuming this is him directing to island life as to what's going to happen in the island life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think this is a really interesting way to... Let's compare and contrast with 1984 briefly. Okay. 1984, we were using pain and suffering and the fear of pain and suffering and keeping people in pain and suffering mm -hmm. as the means of control. In this case, it's uh, using comfort and distraction as the means to keep the population in control. Yep. And even to the point where when they are um, even punishing them, the punishment is simply where, where you, you don't get to... like. You will not be surrounded by comfort and distraction. You you want to be unhappy? Okay, you can go to a place where you can be whatever you want to be. Mm. And I'm just going, hey, hey. And then the purpose of the factories is to churn out as many people as they possibly can. 
yeah, well, it seems they're very proud of that um, uh, scientific achievement where they are able to split a zygote into tens upon thousands of uh, copies. Well, but also that the number is it's keeping those populations that are that are um, quote unquote menial and probably the most dependent on soma and other things well, in the well, highest number. It's funny, you know, when when the machine, like I guess the idea is that when a machine grows, you need more to keep it churning, and it's kind of a perpetual process. Except yeah. because this is such an engineer society they probably have like the idea of this is the population we want for this place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just weird. I don't know. I just kind of, it's such, I've said, told you this before where it's just, it's such an alien mm. concept to the way that my head thinks about things that it sometimes is hard to digest. Um, I'm just going to say for someone who wants sin, the savage is a wee bit prudish, so that's not, not a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I think he wants the right to judge sin. That's what he wants. Sorry, if if that's the way he was interacting with um, with uh, Lenina. Then again, we have mentioned this before. He does have a history of being extremely traumatized, and it, it has turned into a judgmental personality. Yeah, well, yeah. At which, least, which especially is, when it comes to this topic. So here, here's the thing. Um, there was kind of a there was a discussion about religion in that chapter, and John didn't really understand what God was, but he very quickly seemed to take up the mantle of this is exactly what I think everyone needs. Sorta, I think he took. He's okay. I'm going to say a few things regarding dear old John. I think he's offended that. Uh, beauty has been essentially cut out that the nobility of humanity is being dis disregarded also you do get a fair context like you do get concepts of god through shakespeare mm. you do yeah. um you might not always understand it if you are john because john doesn't really always 100 understand shakespeare as his interesting choice of quotage indicates um where he uses the words but doesn't necessarily grasp the meaning and then you've got the idea of um, he, he did grow up on the um, reservation where he was exposed to the concept of God. And remember when he, we were hearing his story and it, it was drawn a parallel to it again. Um, this, where is that sentence? Uh, what was that sentence? The, where he was, okay, he was suffering. Ah. It is natural to believe in God when you're quite alone, alone in the night, thinking about death. Remember that scene where he was essentially reje rejected? He, he almost threw himself off a cliff, yeah. Yes. And he had a moment where he was confronted by his own mortality and that he was considering that mortality. Mm. I think that his relationship with death is already going to be slightly different um, as it is. And then you've got this whole, he's been surrounded by ritual and concept and belief and faith and old people, like elderly. And so he comes at this from a completely different perspective. So, of course, for him, what God might mean is going to be different to what necessarily is being meant by Mustafa Mond as to that God is a concept that has kept, helped 
civilization in his own way. But all sort of stuff I said, well, there, yeah, there pro- very probably is God. Well, I'm just thinking, again, I'm trying to think through like John's understanding, very rudimentary understanding, but it seems also like maybe he latched on to God because it's like, oh, this, this is the thing people need because this feels like something that will stop people doing whatever they want. I don't know if it's that. I don't think it's that. I, I, I see where, you'd, because of his judgmental nonsense as well. But it's not that it's judgmental just for the sake of being judgmental. So, you know, judgmental usually means that you think yourself as superior to the others. He does, because of the way he's been raised, as thinking of himself. But I think he's confronted by the fact that if this is the so-called superiority that my mother is saying that I come from, there's nothing superior about this. Shakespeare's... Yeah. Yeah. I'm superior to what she considered superior. That or he's confused and he's questioning whether he's belonging even more so and thinks even less of himself because Mm. he was already experiencing a lot of rejection from uh, the Malpays. Mm. So if he was already experiencing a lot of that rejection and then you add in the, um, his rejection of his, his, the uh, original, a source where his mother comes from and what she considers to be civilization and good, then you've got this huge uh, inability to form identity. Like his identity is already going to be fairly shaky, but his sense of belonging and existence and, and uh, everything is completely wrecked. Yeah. Um, and then you, you, so he throws himself even further into this concept of Shakespeare's ideals of what humanity is but the problem is that this industrialized civilization has moved so remotely away from this the malpays are nothing like what shakespeare would have described however he would have seen nobility and these things within them even if it's not directed at him and he was never on the inside of that society so he really doesn't know what was going on there he knew enough but he didn't know not enough to belong and that's a problem so he's judging all civilization based on these ideals of human nobility and in neither of them has he actually got an ability to witness this one because the one that he's visiting currently or has returned to quote unquote has returned to has has cut it out and the other one because he's not the door isn't open for him and they don't really i mean they are under no obligation to accept him mm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real, like, I feel extreme pity for John. I get frustrated and angry at him and because he's a bit of a dick. Um, but nothing like Bernard. And, but at the same time, I have so much compassion for this poor character because I get it. Yeah. Like, you, you can understand why he behaves the way he does. He's, he's also, he's a child. He's emotionally yep. never developed. Yeah. Um, and, and and here yeah. he is talking to a world controller about subjects about basically how the world should be run. Yeah. Uh, and even just, or I don't even know if they're talking about how the world should be run. The, the director is, sorry, the controller is, controller is, um, John is questioning the very, uh, purpose of this society in terms of i don't think he's grasped the purpose of their society uh, the the fact that there should only be, he's, he's questioning what the controller is telling him the purpose of civilization is 
essentially. Mm. He's questioning everything about it and and going, well, but why not? This is what's missing. You need to have this. You can't not have this. You should have nobility. You should have these things. And and whether I don't even know if he's embracing the concept of God as being the need or I want the things that you've removed. What have you done? What's the point of this civilization? You got rid of all the mosquitoes. Yeah, and, and is it worth the victory? I mean, in this case, with the story of the the uh, of the girl from Metaski, the whole point is they wanted to marry her, and to do so, they had to show themselves worthy. And in order to, to be worthy, you had to endure. And for him, I guess this is where you go into the whole... Uh, the religious philosophy of suffering, and then that's going to differ from belief systems and interpretations of different scriptures and whatever. But it's mm. like this idea, is suffering what allows us to be noble or is it suffering that allows us to appreciate things more? Or, um, you know, uh, uh, the idea that the most beautifully scented roses often have the most thorns uh like and and, and that yeah. well or even that just suffering is a fact of living if you live you will suffer yeah <laughs> sorry there's a chronic pain joke that comes out of that which is you when you feel pain you know you're alive and the response is well i'm very alive right now mm. but yeah no I, I i don't necessarily ascribe to that 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 suffering is what lets you know you're alive um but more the idea of acknowledging that for a completely balanced life, it is about those challenges as well. And it is about how we we process those challenges. That there is no winning and losing a challenge. It's just taking mm. an opportunity to grow from a challenge. And you can have growth without challenges, but is it the same thing? Or is it even possible to have growth without some sort of challenge? Well, yeah, I, I was going to argue against that. And you just... <laughs> No, like I don't. The other side, but you can't. Like, how yeah. do you have growth with that challenge? Yeah. It's the same way a seed has to, you know, some of the plants usually push through the earth, the soil in order to grow. Yeah. Or if there's muscles, if there's no yeah. resistance, yeah. Yeah, like how do things? Although I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the research into growing plants in space. I'm sure there's research on that because that's the kind of thing that would be important to study. I don't know how that works. How do plants respond in... in do they still grow towards gravity? the sun? How does that work? I mean, aside from the cosmic radiation, how does that work? Mm. Do you have to grow them in some sort of gel and high-density material in order for them to have some sort of surface? Yeah, I'd say you'd have to do high... De like the amount of convoluted things you'd have to do. Yeah. Anyway. Challenge and growth. Um, yes, challenge and growth are like the the. So the, we have these two different the the flip side, that the um, that John is going. We need to have challenge in order to bring out the best in humanity. And Mustafa Monda saying we just want to be in comfort in order to, to um, perpetuate this human machine. Well, he's also saying, look, we're all happy and we don't have challenge. Yeah, but happy is not growth. And then he, but he also admitted that the happiness that they have is very superficial, mm. but that they don't know any better. And for him, he's like, "That's fine." That's fine mm. because his purpose is not happiness, really. His purpose is stability. Mm. Well, and that's the, the other thing they talk about yeah. that how um, 
the instability came up. You, it once once all these emotions enter into it, you have instability. As soon as you think of more than, just feel happy. Well, once once you have passion, yeah. Once yeah. you have attachments to people and things, yeah, it's not great. There's a reason why. I, I I understand where there's a heavy bit of psychology that looks into attachment theories and that I can understand why it, it is very obviously critical. But yes. So is there anything else about the chapter you'd like to bring up? No, I'm curious. I know the next chapter. Next chapter is our last chapter. It, it is the final chapter of Brave New World. I know uh, Rue is happy, but... I'm I'm shedding a tear. (laughs) No, look, I'm only happy because I, I kind of I need a non dystopian book. I I need I need some non. We're not reading a utopic book, but we'll talk about that next episode. Next time, we will mention it next episode. But we're not reading a dystopic book, which (sighs) I'm just tired, guys. I'm tired. I'm really tired. I think we all are, as my friend at the beginning kind of indicated. I think we're all a little, um, it's hard. Be kind to your mental health if you can. Even if you have no official diagnosis with any condition, it is part of your being. Please. Well, also, um, like that chapter was very dense uh we commented on as we were going through it like we might have a more fruitful discussion before the final chapter next time because we we have some uh we it might have been able to process more i think it was said beth by mustafa mond where is that sentence where is that sentence uh when he said you're welcome at the end (laughs) that anyway well, he's basically saying, oh, well, you're off to the island now. We don't care. Um, where is it? There is that sentence. Where is it? I'm going to find it. And then you'll be fine. Uh, there was a huge chunk of philosophy there by the car- uh, the cardinal and by the other guy. So I'm like, no. It, it, that's too... Um, I disagree very loudly with Mustafa Mon's sentence of... God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness. I disagree As I was reading it, I thought, yeah, Rue's not going to like that. Well, it's not about like. I I don't agree. And it's it's simply, well, actually, I do agree if your concept of God is based on the idea of certain concepts of God are applied, then yes, then it would be incompatible. But if your concept of God is not about limiting and not about... Um, it is more about the fact that we we have a, a, an ability to be noble, right? And that that is somehow part of our inherent makeup. And if you're not, if you just even go, God is something that is greater than where we are at, or where we are, or what we are. It's very simplified, but it, basically I have issues with how it's defined in this context. Um, I'm trying to find the darn thing. What is that sentence? Was it early on? Yeah. There was something to talk about at the start that I wanted to bring up, but I can't remember. There was a sentence where you cut this. It's the standards. Okay. No, it's, I've missed it. There was a standards. 
There was the idea of the there's Edmund the scene from King Lear that was very interesting. Oh yeah, where where uh, he said um, if Edmund was in our society, there'd be no problem. Yeah, whereas this, whereas John's going well, no, because it's still being his vices that are ultimately going to be his downfall. Um, I'm trying to find that sentence, and I will find it. The idea that John would talk about, yeah, it's it's his vices that will be his downfall. I mean, that that's kind of um, not looking in the mirror there. <laughs> well, it's John. I don't think he has much self-awareness, mainly because he doesn't feel like he's he's in that very strange state of, I, I, I'm not, I don't belong. If you don't feel like you belong anywhere, of course, it's going to play havoc. Mm. Um, there was a sentence about electro ball, oh, fuzzy uh, golf, electromagnetic golf, but using these rules for like puppy whomping or whatever. Else. Yeah, yeah, I remember the sentence. I don't remember what it was in regards to. I'm just trying to find. Well, no, it was the standards. As if this idea of when you're using um, standards. Right, what you're talking about doesn't apply to our society, so the point is moot. Yeah, and uh, there was no words, there was no Shakespeare, but uh, I will find it. Mm -hmm. He was basically telling him not to judge Edmund by his standards. Ha ha, there it is. Yeah, so let's go through his whole thing. So we have this scene, that bit from King Lear, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're discussing like this idea of that he was the and yeah, he's completely um, not realizing that if someone else took their standards and put them to him, then he is also his his vices are being his downfall because his vice in this case being his dependency on Shakespeare as a source of the view of the world. Mm. His addiction to beauty, so to speak, which is not a bad addiction to have. But in this case... um, You can have too much of a good thing. I don't know. Can you have too much of beauty that is in the sense of... That is creative and transformative beauty? Well, if it stops you from doing anything else, yeah. Yeah, that's true. true. Um, But yeah, so here's this bit. What is there... This bit where he was like going... Okay, so... He's referencing King Lear. He's going, "'Tis true, the wheel has come full circle. I am here. What about now? It does not seem to be a god. Managing things, punishing, rewarding. Using a fictional character. Interesting choice. Um, well, does there? Yeah. Uh, and this idea of you have no, like, there's no issues. There's no consequences. If you If there's no god, there's no issues with whatever you do. And now we've got, um, in this, our current society, we don't have passion, so there's not a problem. There's nothing that needs to be controlled. Um, it's interesting that the controller goes, the gods are just, no doubt, but their code of law is dictated in the last resort by the people who organize society. In other words, even if there was a god, and even if there are things that that god instructs us to do, we as a society determine which laws to enact and not to enact. We end up determining what is and isn't applicable. Yeah, there, there's that whole idea that it is man who determines what God is. And that's in the case of the application. Like if you have, say for the sake of argument, actually not for the sake of argument, let's say for this ideal, we have John who believes that there is something that's beyond. And I would actually say the controller believes that there's something beyond. He and, mentioned and the, there probably and, is a God. And the controller said, we have adapted God for our society. He is now here due to his absence. Yeah. 
and that that part did my head in a little but yeah it's it's this idea of um but the controller is not wrong in saying that people will modify and modulate to suit what the priorities of that civilization are mm. Whereas in, I mean, the other perspective would be that John going, well, shouldn't God determine what the priorities of that civilization is? And that's the, the fundamental yeah. difference. Um, and then you've got the, and then that's, that, that can be a source of some serious debate. Because if you have a civilization based on one perception of what God is versus an actual, so like, how do you determine that? How do you determine it's not just someone's interpretation and projection? Yeah. Um, and then you've got this next bit. There, that bit where he goes, you choose some other standard than ours, and perhaps you would say he's degraded. And funny thing, the controller in that moment is also not being uh, very self-aware. And that's why I was saying he's a bit like O'Brien. Right. Because he's taking the values of his civilization and projecting them on, in this case, a fictional character, but it's the same way that they had their attitude as a whole society towards the the uh, reservations. Kind of like both John and, oh, uh, sorry, John and Mustafa Mond are kind of talking past each other and kind of missing the point of the example they're using. Yes, because he's going, well, you can't use the rules, uh, you can't play electromagnetic golf according to the rules of centrifugal bumble puppy. But the problem is that, I swear to say that. Um, the problem is that he's um, he's projecting and assuming that the standards of the civilization that he is in are the ones that need to apply and are perfect and that control is everything and that's the point. The point of civilization is control. That's the philosophy of the um, controller. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> being controller. Who would have thought? Uh, who would have thought? Whereas the, the flip side is that uh, John is essentially coming from a perspective of civilization. The purpose of civilization is the advancement and the continual nobility of humanity and growing through challenge. Mm. So you have two contrasting views of what civilization is. And the problem is that both of them see each other as not actually having civilization, not being civilized by their definition. So, of course, when, when the controller is saying, who, what's, uh, when John says, are you sure that Edmund in that pneumatic chair hasn't just been as heavily punished as the Edmund who's wounded and bleeding to death, the gods are just, haven't they used his pledge to pleasant vices as an instrument to degrade him the control is going by what standards is he being degraded mm -hmm. what position what's going on and the problem is the civilization the de difference in definition of civilization is going to serve them never to be able to speak on the same page yeah because one is never going to view the other one as having a civilized background well, edmund in the chair john yep. looks at that as utterly horrific the controller looks at that as wonderful and we had a moment where Bernard also saw it as horrific. That moment on in the helicopter, and I think that broke him really, because he had developed affection and attachment towards Lenina. And as soon as she re identified herself as, as soon as she identified herself as simply being meat, essentially, that little little fraction of potential growth that could have arisen because Bernard had the capacity to experience growth out of all the people in this civilization he was actually suffering mm. 
and he was not able to address it with Soma. Bernard is a disappointment in the sense of the, as a character because he he is flawed and he's actually indoctrinated and whatever. But the reason he is the way he is is because he experienced suffering and rather than go down that path of growth, he went down the path of I can't handle this. I'm coming back to comfort. Or, or and, I think, I think even more, he let resentment fester in. He let resentment fester in, but also he was disappointed by this hope that he had allowed to flourish. Yeah. And as soon as his hopes were dashed, that was an extra level of not coping. And that, that maybe I can't remember, but maybe that's when he started being really shitty to Lenina. He was he was challenging. But I think he broke. I think that scene where he was actually suspended in, you know, they were hovering over the ocean. Yeah. And he was hoping to have a moment of something that was genuine and real and and beautiful. And like he actually was at the point of appreciating beauty. And she was like, this is horrid. There's no people around. Let's go. Yeah. And she couldn't handle being alone. Whereas... I think he he actually probably would have had a lot more in common with John. Um, I actually would say, aside from the lacking a mother or whatever, they had very similar traumas. Mm-hmm. And it's looking at the same trauma, but in two civilizations and what the outcomes are. Yeah, and, and Bernard went the wrong way. So, and well, it looks like John might not be able to recover either. I don't think either of them, I don't know if it's wrong way as much as the society that they're in uh, and the available It was tools. impossible. Yeah. So you, you had Bernard falling back into, they were talking about it before, I'm not going to find the bit, but where their programming or their indoctrination essentially makes them incapable of responding with any other approach or coping strategy than those that they've been dictated for. They mm-hmm. can't come up with a new coping strategy. They cannot grow. Yeah. And so when you read these things of you, you're projecting standards, this is very relevant to our current approaches to civilization, to our current understanding of how people cope with trauma. We, we don't give them the tools. We don't give people in our society the tools. And we, in fact, train them not to seek it. And we all project standards all the time. Yes. Projection and expectation. And how much of that is our arrogance like we can have standards you can have standards and elect whom you will and will not have in your life and what you will and will not have as a hope for a society but in terms of people's psychological state in terms of people's emotional physical whatever those states and the choices they make um they also are projecting their standards they also are and it's a case of we really need to question i said this last podcast uh, last episode as well um, what are our values? What mm. do we value? What do we consider human values? What is what is it that makes us? What is it and, that we want? And do you think that was really what that conversation was? It was kind of both John and Mustafa talking values at each other. Yeah, and that's the key word there. They were not having a dialogue. Yeah, they were both just they were counterpointing, and in fact, discussion is the right word. Discussion and debate, maybe it wasn't a debate as much as talking at each other. Like you said, they were talking values at each other, but not coming to like, yeah, it's, it's conversation is not the word I'd well, use because conversations together. And 
you were about, I think you were about to say, come to a, uh, a conclusion. And they kind of did come to an agreement at the end because, yeah, uh, Mustafa Mon said, you know, what you're saying right now, you're, you're kind of claiming that you want the right to be unhappy. And then John's like, you know what? Yes, that's exactly what I want. And Mustafa Mon's like, okay, very well. Yeah, if that will make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's why Mustafa Mon feels like he's got the final word there, because, well, if that's the thing you want, then you're getting what you want. Because the whole p- purpose of our civilization is everyone gets what they want all the time. It's just that you want something different. Uh, it's it's just such a dodgy logic. It's weird. I am so glad we were able to tease at that last um, discussion. Yeah. Uh, we just needed that little bit longer for it to process and and for you to find the sentence that kicked it all off. Uh, I was like, I was trying to find that thing because it was bugging me. But yeah, okay. So on that note, <laughs> yes, yeah. thank thank you so much for listening, uh, folks. I I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it the music at the top of the podcast is soma by lionel moser um it is a very pleasant piece of music but i don't think it will give you any false happiness Uh, the the music at the end of the podcast is i'm the slime by frank zappa you can find me over on twitter at dave underscore the underscore turnip you can find me at twitter at rumikmoo and you can find our podcast at smbslt podcast in one word and you can find that on Twitter and Facebook. And if you add it in at gmail.com, you get our email address and you can contact us there. Yeah, please. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think of the book, what you think of our episodes. If you have suggestions for future books, we'd love to hear them. If you know how to leave reviews at any of the places you get our podcast, we'd appreciate a little boost from that. Mm-hmm. And until next time. Happy reading, everybody. And, and, yes. Stay safe. Stay safe, definitely stay safe. If you can. Yes.